Well, hello, people. Welcome to episode 37 of Misfits. This is where I speak to the rebels, outliers, unconventionals. Just try to see things as how they see it and learn from this books. Some of these individuals include Betty Lee, who did a first solo travel around the world at the age of 60. Uh, Taking Soon, who's the architect behind the People's Park Complex. Asian Pong, Benny Sito, and a whole lot more. So today, I uh, brought to you Steph Smith. Well, she, at the age of 25 right now, is a senior analyst working on this product called Trends, tracking up-and-coming trends. So why am I so interested uh, to speak to her is because after a year of learning to code while having a full-time job, she has won the Golden Kitty Award for Inclusion on Product Hunt. So less than a year of coding and able to you know, win an award on Product Hunt, this is definitely something I would like to learn more of. She writes a blog, Steph, about remote work, women in tech, and learning to code. And these days, while working on full-time jobs, she is also building Upread, a tool connecting indie publishers with their readers. In this conversation, we spoke about the things women face in the tech industry, staff transition from consulting to remote work, the ups and downs of remote work, and so much more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steph Smith. ...of how I got to know you. Yeah. Um, so you were the shining example <laughs> of this course I took. Little did I know. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, you were the first. And you're like, I, I, I was like, oh, maybe this person is, took the course too. It turns out you didn't. So no. it's David Spirell, uh, a writing course. And she, he was talking about how to write a good bio. And then went into yours. And then very... There's actually a lot of nuance. I want to dig into that a little bit too. Sure, yeah. Um, and... and there's also a lot of meat in there. And, and basically, David just said that, wow, look, look at this girl, 26, and she's doing all this 25, cool- oh, 20, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm adding, no, I'm that's okay. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. Almost 26. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, they even better, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I reached out, and I was like, hey, you want to come on podcast? And thank you for the, uh, course, accepting the yeah. invitation. So I kind of want to know, like, how do you make... Because I look at my website and I look at yours. Mine looks, like, shitty as shit. <laughs> and it just looks great. So how can, like, my blog look as beautiful as, as yours? Um, I think, for me, I've had a couple of people ask this. And people are like, I had someone the other day say, you know, it looks like you've been coding for years. Like, how did you create this, like, personal website? I think for me, it's it's all been like constant iteration. If you saw the first version of my personal website, it it was crap. Like it but really the first was. First version is two thousand because I did went back to look at the first version. Yeah, yeah. At two thousand eighteen. Yeah, it's last year exactly. But I'm constantly adding to it. Like even just every couple of weeks, I'll change something. So recently, I added like a fifty countries thing, where it's like all the countries that I've been to, and there's like one single picture from each country. And then maybe next week, I'll add something else. Like a, you know, I have a book section that I added that wasn't part of the first right. version of the of the page. So it's just about like constantly, like every week or every other week, I'll think, oh, what do I want to add to this? And then it's like kind of spiraled into what it is now but it wasn't always like yeah, that so as you it, saw yeah so is it a it's a static page is that is that right it's, so the, the website's actually run on node um oh. but the the actual main page which i think is the one you're talking about that could be a static page like you don't i don't 
like plug that into a database or anything. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So it's like so. I mean, that itself. Well, we can go into a whole rabbit hole about what Node is because I have no idea. Because I just run I'm on WordPress and you know. Well, what's nice is that because like so it doesn't need to be run on Node. Node's just like a a backend language, but. I do think it's been helpful that it's kind of it's coded um, not through like a third party set, like it's not through WordPress, not through Squarespace. So I have complete control over exactly how I want it to look. If I want to add a section, it's a lot easier for me to do that. Yeah. I think than if you're kind of working against a, like you know a, a different processing system. Right. Okay. Well, so why did you choose Note, and how did it sort of look the way it is right now? Um, because it looks so different from all the other sites that at least are blocks, right? Because uh-huh. you, I would put it in the, the, the bucket. Because uh, it, 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 yeah, like the top and the sizing and the navigation bar and the little, you know, subscribe to my newsletter thing pop up at the bottom right-hand corner. It looks so vastly different. Uh-huh. So well, how did that end up to be like that? I just, I mean, I wish I, so I'm not a designer. Like I would have... I actually, it's, it's important to say, like, so my actual blog, so the blog page looks different than, like, my, right. my homepage. The blog page is, like, looking. the blog page <laughs> I can't take credit for. That's Ghost. Uh, okay. Ghost I would totally recommend for anyone. But um, my personal page, I'm not a designer. So I, you know, a lot of people, they go and they, like, design a page and then they go actually, like, implement it in right. various ways. I just code. I Like, I just go and say, hey, like, I want this to kind of look like this. And I'll just kind of start working with it. So that's probably why it doesn't look like many other sites. Huh. It's because it's me just kind of like iterating or designing on the fly. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, it's just been me kind of thinking, what do I want this to look like? And as you've seen, it's but kind it's, of like changed over time. There's nothing. Well, how do you even want this to look like that? When Have you seen something like that in the first place? Because I think our process is so vastly different. Because for me, I would look at, you know, Maybe three websites that I think are like great looking, yeah. and then I'll be like, okay, well, I want this piece of that and that piece of that, and I'll piecemeal yeah, I mean, it together. I think, I, I think everyone does that. I can't like, I'm not some like visionary. Like oh, most of my stuff probably comes from me seeing something equivalent on other sites. I do actually have like a running list on Evernote of just like every time I see a site that I think is like really cool or nice or like distinct in some way, right. I'll add it to that list. And every so often, if I'm like like inching or itching for inspiration then i'll like go back there and be like oh, oh these are s-. and i'll label them i'll be like simplistic sites like kind oh, of like we need to geek out about that okay but well, tell me how you capture it <laughs> well yeah so it's just i mean it's if anyone saw my evernote it's not uh it's not clean <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not organized but it has a lot of info and i'll for that particular one i'll organize it as like just like again simplistic sites like sites that are really like kind of like full of animations or like really kind of like new age sites right. or um like blogs or or so, sites so with- do you use tags or like do you tag it it's just yeah it's just literally a text file that has like um oh, so, a list so, of oh, so it's like so you create a note and then simplistic site they add a link to it yeah, you don't yeah, even yeah. capture like the pdf of that no, site no, no, no. No, I'll just go back to it if I'm like, hey, I want to see it. Or like sometimes I'll do it by color scheme. Like if I want to go back, I want to see a site that I think is really nice with like a pastel color scheme. I'll go back to, you know, like maybe the five to ten links that I have from that and get inspiration. Right. What if it's like simplistic plus pastel plus animation? How do you like... Well, it's kind of, yeah, whatever I'm like trying to get inspiration for. And like I said, I'm not very like scientific about my approach to designing. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's just... 
like it's when just I'm different. To, so I'm just like, yeah, how do you, yeah. And it's it's really I think maybe the difference is that because I'm building it iteratively, like most people are like, okay, I want to build a landing page. It needs like these blocks, right? Right. The way I build my site is I've built it kind of just like a simplistic page at first, and then every time I want to add some sort of feature or element, like a books page or like you know a page with my pictures. I'll think just about that. Where do I want to put this? Where do I want to insert it? Like, and I'll just so it's not really about designing a page from scratch. It's about just adding in things like as they come to be. So I think maybe that's why it looks a little different than, yeah. Right. Okay. So like, what is the genesis of the the page? And because you started only like a year ago, um, like what sort of like kick you into wanting to have a blog in the first place? So the first like personal page was launched sometime last year, and it was a way for me to practice my coding skills. So like one of the things I really encourage when people are learning to code because it was so helpful for me is to like build things along the way. Because if not, it's kind of like you're, you know, the equivalent of like you're learning a spoken language and you never get to practice it. So I just used it as like an opportunity. Okay, like I need to build something. I've just learned HTML, CSS. A little bit of JavaScript, and that really—it was a static page at first, the, the original version, because that's all I knew. And so it was just a way for me to like, hey, I want to build something. I want to like use my skills. Um, and then that kind of evolved as I started like launching things and people getting attention. Then I was like, okay, I should have kind of like a go-to page where people can learn about me. Like, you know, there's a lot. Of, I had an FAQ because people were asking questions, and I just wanted a page where people could go. It's like I want to learn about stuff. This is where you can go. And then the blog is a whole nother story. Okay. Okay. So, would you say that, like, because yours end up in no, not WordPress, because it's really like two different buckets, right? WordPress and the rest. It's because you took on this coding, you see it as a coding project, not as like you just want to make a blog. Yeah, I think WordPress is great, and there's other there's other tools similar to WordPress. Um, but I think I wanted it to be like a platform that I could completely like. Manage and and design and and just create myself over time too. Because the thing about WordPress is it's great at first, right? Because it, it lets you build something super quick, yeah, especially yeah. if you don't know how to code. It's like you can you can create a beautiful page uh, very quickly. But from there, if you want to you know make some small tweak or add in a section that isn't part of that template, it's very difficult, right? Oh. So I wanted it to be a place where it's like this isn't like a thirty second thing or like a thirty minute thing. I wanted to be able to like be like the, my homepage forever and be able to like manipulate it how I needed to for years. Right. So, what are the the, the the what's the decision process looks like, and what are the couple of options that have like 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 came out as you make the decision to make it a note or build a note? So that was note specifically was just because that's where I actually learned to like that's the language, the backend language that I learned to code in. Okay. Well. Okay. Wait. Can you can you expand a little bit on note? Because I'm like. Now I look like an idiot. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. So there's, you know, with any um, kind of website or web application, there's typically a front end and a back end. Mm-hmm. Um, so front end is like what you see, right? Like simplified, but HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is normally in the front end, and then normally there's a back end which ties into your database. Um, and like, if it's not a static site, that's actually like, you know, doing any um, API calls or doing any asynchronous calls, and so. There's many backend languages. There's Node, Python. You've probably heard of them. C Sharp. Right. So like all Node of those are backend languages. Language. It's a backend uh, language. It's okay. it's JavaScript though. It's okay. n- like Node.js. It's a backend language. And 
there's basically all the backend languages, like the fundamentals are the same. So you don't need to, Node isn't necessarily better or worse than Python or, or C Sharp or, you know, other PHP. A lot of people use PHP as well. I just took a course that used Node and that's like why I, I use it for my site. Right, so all along I was thinking that Node was a CMS, which is kind of like WordPress, but actually Node is actually a coding. No. So my entire site, with the exception of the blog, which is on Ghost, is like completely self like hosted, self-developed, uh, yeah. Okay, so can I, I like to, I mean, let me break it down. So, so Node is the language and okay, the domain, um, you got it from? So initially from GoDaddy, but now I'm on Namecheap. Doesn't matter though. Okay. Yeah. Recommend Namecheap because they don't spam you. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I definitely would recommend Namecheap over GoDaddy. And um, hosting? Hosting. So for the actual, um, most of my applications, I they're hosted through Heroku, but um, my blog is through uh, DigitalOcean. Okay. And, and reason? Well, just because DigitalOcean actually has a droplet that makes it very easy to sync with with Ghost or launch a blog through Ghost. Oh. Um, Heroku makes it very easy to deploy through the the like through Node or through certain applications that I use. Okay, so before that it was like Heroku until you wanted to add Ghost and then you move it to DigitalOcean. Well, so everything is still on Heroku, but then just the blog part is on DigitalOcean. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And can't <laughs> what is Heroku? Heroku is, just, is, is similar. It's like, um, basically Heroku helps you serve up your sites, right? So you're basically paying for website hosting. Okay. Similar to if you, know, if you buy a domain through GoDaddy or yeah. Namecheap, sometimes they'll actually provide you with hosting. Yeah. Um, but this actually connects directly to my IDE, which is my development environment, and I can launch directly through Heroku. And then that connects to my domain, and then my my website is served. Okay, so interesting. So um, okay, so because my version is Namecheap plus a hosting service, which for me is yeah. a bunch of hard disks uh, at some place around the world that connects the internet, so your data gets stored in the hard disk and yeah. it gets read by the, the browser. Who is like the equivalent of that? Um, and same with DigitalOcean. It's just um, integrated directly into your development environment. It makes it much easier versus like I'm sure when you, um, if you're doing like a static site or um, something through like WordPress, I'm so sure you're connected to cPanel, right? You're like dropping files in maybe depending yeah, on, yeah. yeah. So mine instead is like I, I just use like terminal commands and it sends. Um, so you don't have cPanel? I'm not sure from the from a purely technical perspective if Heroku uses cPanel, but I just go directly to Heroku. Like I just deploy directly to Heroku. Interesting. Yeah. So Heroku replaces the cPanel and the um, so cPanel and the it's also a, a hosting hard disk somewhere. So all of these all of these sites will have like physical server somewhere, right? Like, okay, okay. so same as, like they're all doing the same thing. Right. It's just um, certain sites or like certain tools like Heroku or DigitalOcean set up the infrastructure in different ways that I think are more conducive as a developer to actually deploy your code. Oh, okay. Okay, so basically I could, in my same server, set up Heroku. Um, is it correct? Or I've never tried to set up a static site with Heroku. But I think you could. 
I'm not I'm not 100% sure about that. So. No, no, no. I'm saying if I could I could install Heroku, it's like an app or, or, or sort that the way it configures the 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 hard disk. I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> no. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Um, so no, no CMS then. Um, the, the, uh, well, the CMS is goes. Would you say so? Like, well, so it so n- not all parts of my site have like what you would typically call a CMS. Ghost is the CMS for the blog. Right. Um, I don't know if I would say that my site itself has like a CMS because there's no content management system. Right. It's all coded like directly. That's right. How do you choose colors? Because like what befazzled me is that uh, I go into your site and it has this beautiful color that like works together. Um, I mean, mine is just black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that works. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's simple. Yeah. I j- again, I wish I would. I'm not a designer, so I'm not like um, very scientific about it. I know I've really like even the way I dress and like I've always been kind of more of like a pastel color scheme type person like in most of the things that I do so that's why if you go to my site it's mostly like pastels that was like where I wanted to start and then from there it's literally just like you know color picker iterating even last night I was changing something on my site and I was debating changing the color scheme but I didn't because I was like this works I should keep it the same but um yeah it, it really wasn't scientific it was more like let me work around this until I think it works that's interesting. So, so even for font, font size, size of photo. No, I wish I was like I wish I had more of like a better answer where it's like oh I really thought about this and I you know like use this ratio scheme. No, it was very like because I code on the like I'm yeah, kind yeah, of designing yeah. it on the fly. Um, I just kind of see if it, I think side. it looks good. Yeah, and your then, code and then that's the extra. Uh-huh. Well, the good thing about again like being able to to code with like. Um, node or or basically like something that um you're developing it directly and you're not using um a system like wordpress is that you can make tiny changes and then you can just see it in your like kind of staging uh link and see like basically oh do i like that no let let me just like reverse that and so it's very iterative where you can just like code check no i like this or i don't i wonder i wonder what is better now because actually so the the setup i'm using right now is um uh at least the blog well like let's talk about my 2d animation site because um i use this plugin called elemental Mm -hmm. and i have some friends who use that as well yeah and you can see like right away almost um so like as from a speed point of view um, and to be able to see it, like, which do you think, you know, do, do someone need to invest the time to learn Node? And... No one needs to learn to code. I just, have, I'm of the opinion that in the long run, right. it's like the right option because there's only so much that you can do with no code and no code's advancing super quickly. So that's something to keep in mind. But I just think like I'm able to iterate so quickly just by like knowing exactly not just how it would look in something like Elementor, but like how this will actually be developed and integrate into the rest of the website. Oh, and okay. um, I just think that in learning to code, like you're you're not just learning like how to create something, but how things work, right. how to work with other developers, and it's just a much more long term solution. If someone tells me, "Hey, there's like a small bug on your site," I can just wake up and, and fix it myself. I don't need to ask someone to do it. I don't need to troubleshoot for hours. One of my best friends was coding a site or de- 
putting together a site recently and there was just very simple things that he spent hours on because he didn't know like the basic technical um, knowledge that you know he had like a five minute conversation with me and it, it was solved so it's not just about like creating and I'm not even like very experienced with development compared to most people but that's why I really do think it's important for most people to just like learn the basics you don't need to learn node you don't need to learn a back-end language but just like learn html css javascript learn how the web works because so much of what people use is on the web right no I, I, I do have the opinion and I stand by if you're on the same thing as you know like learning how to code learning how to talk to machines is the modern day math and the modern day read and write. Yeah, it is. Right? And if you are building a site, then why don't you use that as a project to learn about um, coding instead of like learning about coding through a school which have very stable environment? Uh, why well, you go go in the real world? And, go yeah. to and like, it's just, it's so fun and actually like very empowering oh, to sure be that. able to <laughs> I think a lot of people I mean learning anything at first is hard not just code like I think people I think people forget that right you get out of school and you aren't learning you know as as frequently anymore and so anytime you pick up try to pick up anything it's like such a heavy lift at first so people forget that like learning anything at first is like very tough but most people that I've kind of talk to or, or people who have chosen to learn to code yes the first couple of weeks is like really hectic but then after that people actually really like the ability to you can just create stuff like there's very few things or skills that you can learn where you should just create things okay. out of nowhere because well, try to see it from your point of view um also because you were working with people who know how to code so you don't spend five hours on github not knowing a single thing and just like squinting your eyes at the screen. Um, and I have personally went through that, right? Everyone has. <laughs> no, but at least like, like, would you say that because like you have a group of people that at least understand the thing can point you in the right direction of like... I mean, most of, most of what I did in terms of learning code was from a course. I, I didn't, it wasn't from like my friends teaching me or saying like, hey, you should learn this. And then after the course, it was mostly just Google. And if you ask any developer, really almost any developer, especially if they didn't go, you know, get like a computer science degree, they're learning on the fly. They don't really fully know what they're doing. They're Googling stuff. They're figuring things out. But it's kind of fun because you're just like constantly problem solving. Um, but I think most people who choose to learn to code will say the first section is very, very hard. And it always it continues to be hard. But there's this like moment where you, things start to click. And it's very empowering to be like, wow, this like black box that once existed in my life for many people, right? right, right. You, you okay, like see a you. website. Okay. You don't know like what's powering this, like how is this actually working? And when that starts to click and when you realize like I can create this stuff too, it's like super empowering. Okay, so wait, um, let's just in, put an insert here, um, the course that you took, uh, was it Udemy? It was the Udemy course, it was the web developer we'll bootcamp the, yeah. by Colt Steel. I think like hundreds of thousands of people have taken it. Is there a group of people that takes it with you that you could talk to? about your problems is like vent to them. <laughs> yeah, so actually as part of the course, I never really use this feature, but I think many people do. He set up kind of like a chat room where people can oh. say or ask questions and, and get help. But then there's also a forum in Udemy where you can search like many people run into the same uh, problems as they do a course. And so that was helpful for me. I used the forum many times. Oh. And then since then, I've set up like a small chat where some of those people are... Uh, of people learning to code and some of them are taking that particular course um but in general i think the forum is actually like 
pretty forum plus Google is pretty sufficient to get someone through the course. Okay, what is what is the longest time you spend on a problem just trying to know? Like- oh my gosh, hours! Like so many. I always say or tell the one story of um, one night. So Mongo is like the database that they teach um, in the course, and so I spent. Literally four, I think around four hours trying to troubleshoot something. It just like, I think my data just like wasn't um, being read or, or something like that. It was this is like a year ago now, but um, I was there for hours. I like eventually just like closed my laptop, went to bed. It was like 3 a.m. or something, and I just needed to restart the database. Like the next morning, I restarted the database, like restarted my application, and it worked. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I just spent four hours, and this like definitely not the only time I've spent many like long segments trying to just like figure something out banging my head against the wall and then the great thing about code though is like honestly you always do figure it out you wait, just wait, keep wait, googling so you see, ask this someone is where we defer because if i would have spent anything more than half an hour on a problem i'm like this <laughs> i'm gonna throw my computer out of the water right yeah. yeah i mean that is definitely like an outlier i mean if every day really was like you're banging your head against the wall for four hours that would not be very enjoyable but i think no, no, but you could sit there with the problem and not really, and and you know like like chip at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're Google. It's not like I'm literally staring at screen, being like, "What the hell?" for four hours. I'm. You're googling it. You're testing different things, and like you're manipulating your code. And then sometimes it'll work, but you'll get a new error message, and then you're like, "Oh, what does that error message mean?" You Google that. You try to figure it out. But you're learning along the way. And the few times where I've had like where it's been that bad, where it's been like many hours. I will never forget that particular solution <laughs> no, no. So you, again. You, so there is like new problems to the old problems when you, as you put something in. Yeah, I was just in... Oh, so I, it's not like a single error message that pops up for four hours. No, normally you're like, yeah, you're getting different error messages. Like you solve one and then maybe something new pops up. Like I was just uh, in like kind of like a group... Uh, coding thing last week and one of the guys was so happy to just get a new error message because he's like I've been getting this one error message for so long and this other guy helped him get to a new error message and he's like I'm so happy with that thank you man like I can take it from here but yeah it's just it's like the I guess psychology like I'm getting somewhere right It, it, it would be very very kind of like daunting to just face the same thing for four hours but you're kind of working through it oh interesting okay yeah, no, I wonder, like, like because, like, so you took some hard sciences, you know, when you were studying, too. Yeah. I wonder if that helps in, like, just digging on the same problem versus, like, I don't go to school, so, like, I'm, like, of the instant gratification generation. I mean, maybe. So, I, I do think, like, I took chemical engineering. I, I think that probably did help me, I can't lie. But I do know many other people who have taken arts or even... There are quite a few young people these days who have no college degree, who went straight into like self-taught um, programming, and they're killing it. So I think it it certainly can help. But the I think the misconception is that like people think like math is actually hard. Like I remember I I loved math um, growing up and like throughout university, but math is is very hard because it's uh, it's very conceptually daunting. But programming is like kind of like. Uh, just live problem solving. I, so a lot of people don't realize it's not math. It is similar in, in some aspects to math or science, but it's a lot more creative and it's a lot more kind of like just problem solving on the fly. And so I think that's why you really do see so many people who really struggled with math and science, um, you know, in their earlier careers. 
and then thought computer science is not for me, I can't do this, and then eventually get into it and realize like, wow, this is actually, like, I can do this. Yeah, and, and I think one of the conversations I want to explore with you a little bit is, you know, there's people stepping in instead of like, jumping straight in into a four hours problem that they look at the same error message is there like a way to you know baby step it and like what would be and of course you know everyone can say it's so easy this that the other right but then like we all know that um every online course there's a 90 percent dropout rate yeah so the that's the biggest thing the biggest hurdle for people learning to code is i think very different than what people initially imagine so a lot of people think like this is going to be way too technical. I'm not going to understand. And really, the the biggest hurdle is just people sticking with it, right? So anyone, like, if anyone codes for one hour every single day for a year, I guarantee that person will, like, be, like, a sufficient developer by the end of that year. Will they be a senior level developer? No. But, like, will they understand code and be able to create things? Yes. And that's basically what I did. So I was working full time. I spent... Not every day, but probably, I think it ended up being like over 100 days in 2018 yeah. coding. And it ranged from like, you know, 15 minutes some days to like a couple hours. But the idea is that like I stayed consistent and I was like, I don't care if I, you know, some days it's four hours where I'm banging my head against the wall and some days like everything flows like super freely. But the difference is that I stuck to it and that's what I try to encourage for people. Set like a daily goal. That's all you need to do. Set a goal. I'm going to code for half an hour every day or I'm going to code for an hour every other day and you will figure out how to code. That's the difference between like people who end up learning to code and who don't. It's just people sticking with it. So I think maybe the a better way to, to for people to learn to, how to code is have a project that's not time sensitive, like a blog, sure. um, and give yourself a hundred days off an hour a day. Yeah. You know, and make sure there you, are you, like hundred day, three hundred day challenges and I think they're great because yeah, it's not about um, like forcing it, you know, down down your brain until you figure it out right it's about just like consistently sticking with it and i think like you said it's really important to have projects because if you don't have things that you actually build with it it'll just feel like this conceptual thing that you're learning that you'll never put into practice yeah no because i think one of my problems is definitely when you know i have a project that's rushed i kind of want to get this out and look a certain way and like when i couldn't get it i'm just like i'm just okay i'm gonna pay money and solve my problems and not learn the skill and it's okay to pay other like no no 100 percent. but i think it it is like to note that if if this is something that you want to learn then give yourself a a long stretch of time and and you know like exercise it out instead of like i need to lose 7 kg by my wedding day which is a month away (laughs) And the other thing is, like, I think people kind of ha- or hinder themselves by comparing themselves to people who have been doing it for, like, a decade, right? So you think, like, oh, I want to learn to code, and then you compare yourself to someone who's been, you know, a senior-level developer who can create these beautiful sites, but they've been doing it for seven years, right? Like, that's crazy. If you were learning a, a spoken language, you would never be like, oh, I'm just learning Spanish. Let me go compare myself to, like, a native Spanish speaker. That would make no sense, but... I think people need to be like patient with themselves and not expect that they're going to be able to build like an enterprise level site in three months, right? They're going to be able to create like a basic site. And like we were talking about my site earlier, if you look at the early stages of it, it wasn't as nice as it is now. And hopefully in a year, it'll be even nicer. And so people just need to not kind of like 
get their expectations too high where they are comparing themselves to to something that's unattainable and then they give up right yeah also i think that like if the, if the website is what they're making um perhaps yeah also um conflating design skills together with coding skills mm-hmm. and that adds another layer on top of it that makes it even harder mm-hmm. so if like and how i did it was that like you know i go look at sites that i want and then i sketch it out on a paper of like okay this is the features i want and this is how the layout is going to be yeah. then take that thing to put it on the um um website with the the framework then code it and that's a more efficient way of learning coding than actually adding the design element on top of it yeah i mean everyone has their own process but i think the idea is just when people first learn to code they have these like very conflated visions of what they'll be able to do in like you know a month of work but coding is like a it's like a, an entire practice right like you you're not going to become a professional coder in a month no, so yeah. people need to be patient so with I that and like what develop we're trying to their do is own. to learn the middle ground right with yeah. off like on one hand you're like oh what coding is so easy it's <laughs> not <laughs> it's not easy but i think it's easier than people think if okay. they focus on um like kind of the idea of like consistent consistency when they're learning it. Okay, so yeah. a better selling point is um, you coding is going to be the math and the writing. Eventually, if you want to work at high leverage job, get high pay, um, that's one of the skills that will value add into any of your resume throughout. And be able being able to talk to developers is good skills nonetheless. Yeah. So um, if you need to find a project to get going. Take a time one year, and this is a skill that you will build over time. Yeah, that's the thing. Better that people, yeah, I think that's the long term sell is important, right? Like, you know, I'm twenty something. Even if someone's forty something, there's still many years left of their life, right? And imagine how quickly technology is advancing. You're basically like with every sequential year, getting kind of more out of of society, right? And like what society is. Uh, capable of doing what jobs are out there what people are focusing on and i think it's just like a long-term thing that even if someone doesn't want to be a full-time developer i'm not a full-time developer it's important to have those basic skills and it's it's a long-term right. play it's you're investing in your ability to basically like contribute and be part of like a future technical logical society and if i'm like at a job doing nursing yeah <laughs> right do you think uh, okay so i have two options a great way might be to be a project manager at a tech company mm-hmm. or nurse in the day and learn a course at night. Which do you think would be like have a higher probability of learning her code? It's hard to say. I mean, and it also depends what someone wants. I mean, in terms of just purely high probability of someone like getting through it, of course, if it's their job and they're a pro- product manager, like they're going to learn more through that. But like you don't need to like if you're a nurse you don't need to stop being a nurse you i just think i encourage people to add this skill set to whatever they're doing you don't need to actually like do a 180 right like i still work in marketing i still love marketing and like no, but you're ma- doing marketing in a tech environment of course, of with tech people but i think it's important that like people don't need to like you know drop what they're doing to learn technology. Oh, I think technology is just like becoming more present in our world and people should kind of like take that as a cue to to like learn some of those skills, but like we still need nurses, we still need doctors, we still need arch- arch- architects and I don't think people should drop that. I think it's just something to augment 
like what they're currently doing so that they understand this like tech world because a lot of people find it a little daunting because they don't understand that you know people are saying automation is going to steal our jobs blah blah blah, and they don't know what that not true <laughs> yeah exactly it's i i agree it's not true but when you are completely sheltered from the world of technology it's very easy for you to be overwhelmed by this like big black box right, right. so my i guess the simplest way for me to say it is i think people should turn this big black box into not a black box for them yeah and, and i also say that like even if you're a nurse right as in like you're in the medical field and if you do want to learn coding there is always medical apps out there that you know have if someone have the empathy of being a nurse you know works with doctor then it's go a great point do, right yeah and i think that's the other thing is that there's a i mean there's a whole history behind this but there's this very specific archetype when you think of a developer, um, and that kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy because those people hire people like them. And I think, you know, in the future world of technology, we need more people who have diverse backgrounds. And that's why it's important for us to not just say, hey, like anyone who, who specifically only wants to be a developer can be a developer. Like, you can be a nurse. You can be... Yeah, and do you think, like, 2019, the architect, like, what is the, you know, is this still like that? Because I, I do find that there's a lot of people, like, speaking up, you know. It's definitely... Um, better. Better yeah. in the sense of there's more awareness around it. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at the data recently, but from what I understand, like, not much is moving in terms of the numbers. Um, but at least the awareness is there. More people are are kind of welcoming others into the industry and at least people are talking about it. So I do think it's it's moving in the right direction. Um, hopefully we'll just see the awareness turn into like actual numbers in terms of the, the diversity of people in the yeah. industry. And and so one of the, one of the topics that got brought up was about um, being a female and going into a one of those developer plef, uh, uh, you know conference and then you know people looking at you, oh are you HR, you know? I've definitely had that stuff happen before, like many times. And I also like I'm I'm quite young and and like a, a woman, and so I don't really get the benefit of the doubt. Often, I think that's the best way to say it. When you enter a room, especially a room that's like filled with a bunch of of males or like a a conference, a developer conference, people do sometimes assume like, oh, like she's like you know here to do marketing or she's setting up the conference or or something. So I've definitely had encounters like that. Granted, I have also had encounters where people just, you know, ask, like, what do you do? Like, are you you're a developer? Like, what do you code in? So I think it is getting better and more people are kind of coming around to the idea that there's more diversity in the industry. But this is what I mean, that there's still um, kind of a, a ways to go because those encounters or interactions do definitely still happen. How do you feel when people, like, ask you that question or assume that you do <laughs> I mean, it's not a good feeling, obviously, but it's also, um, like... No, no, but, but how, like... You, like, so I'm a very competitive person, um, and I, it bothers me for the reason that it's... The mouse call shit that you have on No, yeah, but I, like, it, it, like, you as, as a person, whether you're a woman or not, you want to basically, um kind of enter a room or enter a conversation or an industry or a job like on an equal playing ground, right? Where you, you kind of, you get the benefit of the doubt unless you lose it, right? Um, whereas with many interactions that I've had as a woman, it's the opposite, right? You need to earn that. And so as a competitive person, it really like kind of fuels me to want to like prove that I 
you know, that I am X, Y, Z. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what I think is unfortunate is that, so in my case, just like my unique wiring, it kind of like fuels me to, to step up and say, hey, like I, I should be here. But I think in many other cases, it actually is like very detrimental. It's detrimental in general, but for some other people who have, um, maybe it actually just like makes them want to, to step away, right? Instead of show up. Um, and it shouldn't be like that, right? You sh- like women or other minorities or anyone in general shouldn't have to earn the benefit of the doubt. That should be a given. And then if you do something, regardless of your background, your ethnicity or whatever, to lose that, that's your own doing. But people shouldn't have a different kind of path or distance to to tread. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that, no, that's really an interesting um, uh, uh, like conversation for nowadays because... Yeah, I mean, I'm on the camp of, like, that life is not fair. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but at the same time, people should be given equal opportunity. But I am I do not know whether if people, you know, like, stereotyping, a certain stereotype, because we do learn from stereotype, is not giving an opportunity. Yeah, so the difference, so I think I, I'm pretty sure I learned this from a Naval podcast, but it's the difference between equal opportunity and equal outcome, right? So a lot of people are fighting um, capitalism and, and similar structures because they're like, life isn't fair. This, like, this isn't fair. Someone has more money than me. Someone has a better house than me, a better job, whatever. That shouldn't, in my opinion, my personal opinion, that's not the issue because you are never going to have equal outcome. There's always going to be differences in like how people operate in life but ideally you have equal opportunity which means like there's a level playing field and it depends how much people take advantage of that playing field how much people step up to the plate how much people invest in themselves and society and building value right and if they do that ideally the system grants them like a a better outcome right so it's it is I think fundamentally flawed, the system is flawed if there's not equal opportunity. Because that means people are basically set up and so to do, get... Do you think that because of the stereotype, you actually get more opportunity or you actually have less of an opportunity? I mean, I think, I still think it's, it's less of an opportunity. Oh. Some people would obviously argue that because there's right. scholarships and grants and, you know, all these yeah. things to, to level the playing field. And I know that's, that's a complete other topic, but... I think but do you feel like I still I still fundamentally feel as a woman that I get less opportunity than my male counterparts. However, how I does it surface for you in in the right direction? Like in some of the discussions we already had, like where people, it's there's just I think a lot more to prove. Whether it's in a job interview, whether it's mm. in a job itself, whether I'm meeting someone and and like I need to kind of. Um, convey like what I do and they, they just automatically assume like that I'm doing something else so it's not it's it's very subtle and I think it's hard to convey because it's it's the same as if you're talking not just like for women but other minorities where it's like it's hard for them to truly convey their experience because it's an experience it's not a fact it's not a data point all the time um, but I do think um, that there is uh, still a gap, but I like we've said. I think it's improving, and I think many people are recognizing this and kind of helping to to close that gap. Yeah, and and I and also that I'm definitely in the ignorant part of the camp because 
um, I'm always like, "What? Well, what do you do? You know, like, well, whoever that is in front of me, sure. right?" Um, but there might be, you know, the other, yeah. And and I was just wondering if, yeah, well, in mixed time, if you do notice or certain particular things or like scenarios, uh, yeah, I'd love to have some of that example so I I could be aware of my, myself and also other people can be aware because once you only once you point it out, then people are self aware enough to be like, oh, oh shit, I'm doing that. Let's you know reverse, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and that's super important that you know I think a lot of people are kind of stepping up to say, hey, like this you know, this wasn't cool, or I think maybe you could approach this another way. And it's really um, positive if the person is willing to listen. And I think more people are willing to listen these days, which is good. Can, can I <laughs> segue that a little bit and, you know, touch on a little bit of leadership thing? Sure, yeah. Because Because this is an interesting conversation, right? Like, you know, like if someone do something that is not the way it should be done in your books... Uh-huh. How does the conversation get brought up? When does it get brought up? And, and you know, how long a time you should set this up? And, you know, like, how should the conversation... As a leader, if someone you're leading is, is yeah, not... I mean, I mean, let's just not even put it as an employee, but you go to a conference and, and maybe it's not you that got, you know, but you saw someone else that, you know, got that, that treatment that sure. you think is, like, not cool. Yeah. How do you, you know, like, navigate that? It's difficult and there's not necessarily like a one size fits all response, but I think it's about like one, assuming best intentions always, because that's when you start to get into bad situations when you're calling someone out and like, and and it it becomes like a hostile situation, but it's mostly just like, you know, assume the best intentions, just go to the person individually, um, whether it's online or not. Um, and just explain to them like why that maybe would have been perceived as as you know something negative and explaining like how maybe they could improve but again not approaching it as like i think you had this intention therefore you're a bad person blah blah blah. it's like no just hey heads up this might have been perceived in a certain way and if they turn it into a hostile situation do you you ask an inviting question beforehand before giving that I don't know if I've thought about this through in like a very scientific way, but I think it's oh no, just something I kick out, kick out about. So. Yeah, no, 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 that's no, it's it's a good question. I think it's, but I think it's just more about like just letting the person know this is perceived in that way because anyone, like whether you're like a woman or a man or or from whatever background, has biases, and like I sometimes probably do things that I don't realize, but probably don't want to do. So I would actually appreciate if I you know did something that was like not cool if someone told me hey like i know you probably didn't intend to do this but this is how it was perceived um so as long as like we have more people who are willing to be like oh i didn't realize that i did that i should like keep that in mind for next time then we're all like working to improve oh my god this it just sparked up so many ideas that came (laughs) to my head because i like to replay conversations like that yeah. because then I'll be like okay well, well if because there will be future conversations that's going to be like that you know you run into situations and then how would I do differently and then I'm like mm, I'll do this and so as you're talking about it a couple of things that came up for me was and I did it just just now and I just insert when you say something I said not true no I mean it's 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 good to have like these like debates it's yeah. just and and also I another thing uh, I I do is oh maybe what you're trying to say is this way but and it assume the best intention is another thing I do yeah but anyway but I no I think it's really good to kind of like 
I need to do this, everyone needs to do this. Just like, yeah, reflect on like how we all interact, but also take just like, if someone's giving you feedback, and I'm not talking about this situation, I'm just talking about in general, like if someone gives you feedback, I think people like their automatic defense is to get very defensive. Um, And I think it's really important. I've learned this, especially over the last couple of years, like you're only gonna improve through like pretty honest feedback or like, you know, reflection. So it's actually like you're, you're kind of helping someone yeah. and people need to just recognize that like if they're getting feedback, they should at least digest it in a, in like a. No, I, and I, and I do think that there are certain words, questions, um, scripts um, to use to not even engage that hostile, like defensive thing, course, even yeah. to start with. Right. And if I do find that, it would definitely be a blog post uh, one of these days. <laughs> no, because Tim Ferry does, Tim Ferriss like does a good job at, at, at that. Um, some, like sometimes not the best. Like 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 his recent book, um, Tribal Mentors, he actually put in the script of how people turn people down. Like great, and I like copy it and put it on my avenue. That's the thing. Nothing needs to be like this big situation. I was even listening to um, Patty McCord's book, Powerful. She's the Netflix. She's like one of the people who put together that big Netflix culture deck and she talks about how like so she's fired a bunch of people just and you know firing people isn't always about like this huge like disastrous event it's sometimes like just not the right exact right role and there's better opportunity elsewhere or something's changed at the company or whatever and she was explaining how she does it in a way where she like becomes friends and like mentors with people she's letting go and she creates like very like positive relationships that like withstand that breakup per se, right? Where she'll like go to, you know, she'll be like at a meeting at Apple and some one of her ex-employees will have moved on to Apple and they'll like hug each other and, and you know, the person she's at the meeting with will be like, how do you know each other? And she's like, well, I let her go a couple years ago. And it's just like this weird dynamic <laughs> that most people aren't. want to also insert that she's very artful. Um, hardest one of the hardest problem is people problem yeah and um and i think she just makes it look easy (laughs) none of the stuff is easy of course but i think it's people just i think you know label certain interactions as like um negative or positive but they they don't need to be that way i think people just like in general like if more people are open to feedback and also this concept that we're not all perfect like on both ends then i think a lot of interactions go a lot more smoothly yeah no i agree on that 100 percent uh and i've not have uh, i'm a terrible leader number one (laughs) (laughs) uh so i got a lot to learn on that um actually so i'm going back a little bit um um okay so you mentioned ghosts Ghost, what yeah. okay what, what yeah ghosts and then we're going to do the design thing but ghosts first yeah what is ghosts how do you go into it ghost? why ghosts ghosts is like um gosh i wish i could use their formal language but i don't remember it but it's basically like a like a blog as a service in in the sense that it provides similar to how wordpress um can help you create basically any type of site um ghost focuses specifically on publishing and they did that so that they can focus on it and do it super well so the way that ghost has built up their platform it's a beautiful like interface you know similar to medium um, but it's on your own site you can control it they have different themes similar to like a wordpress um, application Um, and i've personally just found that it's like seamless what's the pricing 
So if you, there's different approaches that they have where basically the actual platform itself is free. The way that they monetize is through hosting, right? So if you specifically, if you want to use the platform and you don't want to deal with hosting, your servers, they do all of that. And I think it's around $30 a month if you want to do that. So it's, it's not on the cheap end, but it's, they do it very well. Now, if you, which I've done, I've set it up with my own server. I wrote a blog article if people are wondering how to do this. It really only takes um, maybe like 15 minutes to actually do. If you know how to do it. Well, if you follow the article as well. <laughs> of course, it's not, it's not super simple, but it's not as hard as I think most people think. But if you are willing to, you know, spin up your own droplet, then um, you can do a digital ocean for $5. And then, like I said, the actual platform or interface for Ghost is free. So... It depends how you, I guess, which one you choose, yeah. but for the pricing, but I would... Yeah, and it's like an open source thing? Or just, yeah, so oh. that's an, another good thing. So John um, started the company, John O'Nolan started the company, I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but he wanted it to be this, It's it's been an open source project since he launched it, um, which I think is awesome. All the code is online, people can submit like a pull request, um, and... It's all also um, a, a nonprofit, actually. So it's set up in a way where it's um, sustainable from like a monetization perspective, but they're not looking to go build like a billion dollar business so he can go and get rich. He really wanted to like solve a problem, which was like creating a great publishing platform. Um, and he set it up now in a way where it's open source and a nonprofit. So it's kind of like feeding itself um, in a way that it's like kind of a sustainable company that's doing good for right. the community and is there something like that but medium have it because it looks definitely i i at first i thought it was a medium thing but it's not yeah no i mean it's it's similar like the actual um interface is pretty similar but no medium is like the opposite of that right medium is a vc backed company that scaled super quickly got a bunch of users and then realized okay we're we're just like bleeding cash so how do we change that medium is added a paywall right where, where it's still free to publish on medium um, and actually, people make money through publishing there as well. But as a reader, it's it's a paywall, right? You have to, I think it's like $5 a month or something like that. Um, That's like a New York Times kind of situation. Yeah, and a lot of people have... Um, I, wow. There's differing opinions on it, but a lot of people aren't a fan of the paywall. And they, especially publishers who aren't a fan of, like, look, you're basically selling my content, right? Where it's like, if they want it to be... Um, you can make it outside the paywall, but it basically gets no... Yeah, and you know, and you know the problem is, is this, is that if I were to sign up and I knew that from day one that there was a paywall, I would have been okay with it. But they added it, right? Exactly. And that was the thing also where John with Ghost, which I really like, is that he set up from the beginning. He's like, we're setting up this company and we're going to make it profitable from the beginning. People are going to know how we make money. It's going to be very transparent. Um, and that's going to like continue in that fashion versus medium with as with many vc back companies it's about growth it's about hyper growth until you reach a point where you're like okay we actually need to start turning a profit and then in this case they chose to do a paywall people weren't happy with that because mm. it kind of yeah, yeah. was like you know uncovered out of, out of nowhere and and people didn't like how it effectively was selling their their content uh, do they get a piece of the the pie or so publishers do get a piece of the pie but i think what some people are so the publishers who do 
opt into the, you can opt in or out of the paywall people who opt in i don't think are quite as upset but people who really do just want their content to be free um unfortunately medium used to right when everything was free kind of help distribute good content as much as possible right like get eyes on this stuff now they only do it for the the stuff behind the paywall so i think that's what some publishers are unhappy with <laughs> okay mailing list what do you use why um, I use MailChimp, um, but I think I'm in a newsletter kind of telegram group where there have been different tools flying around, so I might switch. But for now, MailChimp, it's been, um, I know a lot of people have problems with MailChimp, but it's actually been completely fine for me. So, yeah. Okay, well, why do you want to switch then? Um, it's, I mean, once you start building up your list, it tends to be more expensive. There's also just, I think, better options. I think it's at 2,000 subscribers. Oh, then the free becomes... Yes, and then past that, I think it scales up pretty quickly as well. So it's it's not as much about just purely the payment, but I just think there's other platforms that I've heard that let you customize your emails more effectively. MailChimp has a really bad mobile interface. I've heard a bunch of complaints. I haven't really run into them myself as much, but I kind of anticipate that to come. Right, so once you hit 2,000, out you go. Not necessarily, not oh. necessarily. I just, like, I kind of anticipate, like, as I'm focusing more on my mailing list, MailChimp has been decent for me, but I just, like, am consistently hearing other publishers kind of run into these walls. So we'll see. We'll see if I run into them. What are, the, what are some of the issues? Like I said, some people are really, like, struggling with mobile, like, actually getting your newsletter formatting the way that you want. Oh. Um, also just like if you want to do anything behind a paywall there's other tools like Substack yeah. and like so I'm still figuring it out I'm still at like I only launched my newsletter earlier this year so I'm at the earlier stages of it You're killing it but yeah it's going well but um, I haven't put as much thought probably into like exactly what tooling I should use as I probably will end up thinking more about moving forward How do you forward. see your newsletter uh, as like a tool like how, what kind of you know um, I don't, I, I mean, I think my newsletter is a way for me to, like, I write articles and most of them are, are more on the personal side or at least like a first person, like, account of, like, what I'm researching or writing about. And I think my newsletter is kind of an extension of that for me to, like, share what I'm writing about in a more personal way, share what I, I added, like, this new part of it, which is, like, stumblings, which is, like, just things that I'm running into throughout the week, quotes that I like, so... I've considered making my newsletter more um, general and less about like what I'm doing or what I'm seeing, but I think I actually like that it's like kind of like a channel for me to like interact with people. They know what's going on in my life. I hear back from a lot of people um, who are like, hey, I'm thinking of learning to code or I'm you know applying for a remote job or I really like this part of your newsletter. So I really like that it's kind of like this like very direct channel to share things with people. Yeah, yeah, no, I just uh, also got on the, the bandwagon and also use MailChimp. And um, yeah, just before that, it was just like RSS feed. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, yeah, you get it. On Tuesday and Thursday, you would send it out yeah. and it was like terrible. And now, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like that I'm like not outsourcing all that new stuff, news feed stuff to Facebook and taking it back into my own hands exactly. and getting to actually talk to people that have something to say. Yeah, and I think it's also like a little bit of an accountability thing because when I just have my blog, I could publish an article once every three months and no one, you know, no one's going to say anything. And even with the newsletter, they're not going to like email me being like, where's the newsletter? But I have this like, okay, I want to 
send it oh, out that's weekly. Oh, that's more internal. That's more internal. Sure, internal. sure. But I, I still, like, I think it's nice to have the newsletter as, like, a, okay, I need to, like, stay accountable. People are, people want to see my stuff, hopefully, if they're, you know. Well, but not on, but not on the timeline that you set for yourself. I know. <laughs> but I also, it's a nice way to, to think about it. Keep that accountability okay. in place. Right, right. Okay. The, um, you create a couple of uh, projects. Oh, wait. So, block first. Photos. How the hell do you get these beautiful photos? Like They're all, they're mostly all unsplashed. There's a couple that, so, at least on the cover images, like 90 plus percent of them are from unsplash. And then the images within the articles, I create myself most of the time in the illustrations. Illustrator or Paukino? <laughs> no, Illustrator. Yeah, I took a, again, like a random Udemy course. That one was actually so quick. I think it was like four to eight hours of content. I don't remember, but you, I did it within two days, just like powered through. And then now I know how to, I mean, I'm not an illustrator, but I know how to illustrate basic things. And I think it's nice because I, I kind of, as you, you maybe see in my uh, articles, a lot of my kind of, images like I couldn't find that on Unsplash like it's a graph or it's like kind of like a way of me uh communicating like what what I'm thinking and so I need to be able to create my own images Wait, which is the and, one that you created because the five percent <laughs> so I'm talking about the ones like in the articles no, no, or about the cover the, so like the the um how to be great one the oh, one with that? that yeah I made what? that that's awesome. yeah so that that's what I mean whereas that one like I don't I, in that case, I didn't feel like I could find an image on Unsplash or elsewhere that could convey what I was looking for, so I created it. But at least for the cover images, most of the time, I feel like, especially because I keep those images pretty like conceptual, like high level, then I can find images on Unsplash. But when I can't, it's nice to be able to create them myself. Okay, well, tell me about that image, like, because it, it looks a little bit more than um, basic Illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. So, like, like, what's your what's what's your process of like creating that? Because I know it's like, say, there's a graph and then it's going up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it mostly is just like as I'm. So I created that for in the article and then realized that I wanted to use it as the image. But that was like I always do the images last. Like I go through the article, think about like what I'm trying to say, and then when I feel like what I'm trying to say can't be conveyed purely in words, then I'll go and and create. The image. So for that, I had already thought through the idea of like a continuous upward um, kind of series of steps. But the fact that you're like, you can only really see a certain like dimension outside of that. And so that was just like, I created that image just through kind of like processing that concept. And colors wise? Try and error? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like we said before, like I don't have, I don't have a, a color scheme that I normally tie to, but I just... Yeah, I literally just play around with gradients in, in Illustrator and see what fits. That's great. Um, logos for your projects? Um, again, <laughs> pretty iterative. I just have like a, you know, I, I create something and I tend to have like a vision of what I want to, like want it to be represented by. And as you'll see, most of my logos, logos are very, very simple. So it's not like I have this like crazy vision um, that's coming out of nowhere. I try to keep them pretty simple and just... Illustrator. 48 hours. Uh, Illustrator or, or Photoshop, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you make your animations too? No. So the one, are we talking about the... The logo animation? The logo, logo animations that, yeah. 
No, I don't. Well, I created the one for Unoya, which is just this three simple globes. But no, you're probably thinking of Femake. That one was created by um, a friend of mine, Alyssa. So she she's like, I think she's 18. And she's very, like, very talented. And she actually, like, has created a bunch of those. So um, there's a group called Women Make. And she's part of that. And she's created many for for not just my launches, but other people's launches. And she creates them super quickly. And she's kind of like... Um, in the same tone as what I was saying before, where she, I've asked her and others have asked her, like, how, how did you create this? Like, what was your thought process? And she also just kind of visualizes, like, things coming out, com- coming in. Like, um, so anyway, she's the one who's created the animations. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, she can design and then code and make, <laughs> ah, 25, ah, what am I doing? <laughs> Okay, great, 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 great. Um, so actually, I want to dive in a little bit about um, most people wouldn't know just by looking at your bio, but you're actually a marketer by trade. Get, yeah. You get paid for. That's what I get paid for. Right? Which <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk any about uh, on your bio. Um, but I would like to dive into the sort of marketing playbook uh, of Sana Launch because let me, you have two products a day. And then you have one golden kitty, which I don't know what it means. It sounds cool. <laughs> it's just a, a product hunt, which is like, a, right, I, I guess you're familiar with yeah. product hunt. They do these golden kitty awards every year um, and they've started doing them for what they call makers festivals. Um, but it's it's kind of just this niche thing. Uh, where they, they like, like, you know, how do they give, like, how do they? So they normally do it again for the makers festivals. They'll have like specific categories. The one I won it in was for inclusion. And then people will create products for those categories and then people will vote on them. And then if you win, you get a golden kitty. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, I don't know what, how we should do this marketing playbook thing. Um, here's a couple of entry points. Then you can just pick. So we can talk all the way from choosing projects. Um, and we can talk about um, how when you choose the project at the start, do you actually what do you think about when you're doing the marketing stuff, and then you know like what goes in the way, and then we can talk about the technical stuff of like do you choose a certain date and time to to do that, and then how do you blast the things out, and what kind of groups do you blast it to, and do you have a thunderclap sort of feature that everyone gets on it on the same day, right? Um, um, but yeah, so just go go ahead and yeah. So yeah, I mean in terms of choosing projects, the projects that I've built so far have been just things that I find interesting. So like things that I'm natu- like naturally have an affinity to. So I cared about women in tech. I created Femake. I really found untranslatable words super interesting. So I created Unoya. Um, and same thing for the other projects. It's always just been things that I find personally interesting that I'm like, oh, I'd love to create some sort of project that like... But do you also have them. a list of like 10 other things that you know you prioritize this over that? I have, I have a list of like 50 projects that I eventually want to make. Um, but yeah, I prioritize like things that I personally really like actually feel drawn to because I think it also feeds into my motivation, right? Like I have tried to create projects that I'm like, oh, I think this would be good for like the market or like people will be drawn to this, but I'm not drawn to it. And I can never just like find the motivation to actually create them. So I think it's important to like, you know, obviously like depending if this is your job, maybe you need to evaluate things differently. But since my projects are for fun, um, then I gravitate towards like what I actually enjoy talking about creating, etc. Um, so that's how I choose projects in terms of making them. Like no, so far, they've been pretty quick because most of them are like what not what I would call products, like more just like fun projects. Um, 
So they only ever really take, they've taken me anywhere from like literally a day because one of them was a 24 hour startup challenge to maybe a couple months at, at the max. That was my first project that took a couple months. Um, and then... And you got better and faster. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you know how to do it now. You know how to do it. And um, I also was just like less picky about things. Like when I was the first time around, you really think it's like going to be like this you know, this huge launch and everyone's going to care. And um, often they maybe care, but it's like you, a lot of people, especially early on, including myself, focus so much on this concept of the launch because it's like the end all be all. This is when it gets the most attention. This is going to be, you know, whether this project like dies or continues on. And really it's, it's a lot of fake confidence that comes out of a launch, right? Because you get all these, this positive feedback, all these page views and, um, often it's not actually representative of whether something will survive past that. And so after the first launch, I kind of started to learn that and I've learned it like more and more going forward. And I think it's important to just focus on like the viability of something in the long run. So I'm just less picky about things when I'm creating them at the outset, because I know if this is going to be something more long-term, this is going to be iterative for like many year, you know, months or years. So I'm just less picky about like the the. So is that kinda, one of the things you, you look at now, like you know, um, long term viability? Now, yes. None of the projects really that I've launched so far have been that because those ones were launched super quickly and they were more just like projects. There's a project that I'm working on now, and it's very early stage, um, which is more long term, where I can see it becoming like a product. I can see myself monetizing it. I can see it being built out for you know like many, many features over the next couple months or even years. Um, so yes, now that's what I'm focusing on because like I said, it's it's super nice to get like that launch feedback and, and get that dopamine hit, but it's not actually conducive to any sort of business or right. long-term strategy. Or would you say then you wouldn't launch then? Like Oh, of course I'd launch, but... <laughs> okay. how, how do you but, see launching now? But now I see launching as more of like a springboard to something more long term. So I also wouldn't necessarily do it right away. I probably in this case would. Um, Harry Dry is a guy who does marketing examples. He's talked about this and he did it very effectively oh, with okay, his. Harry Dry is his name. Um, H-A-R-R-Y and then Dry, D-R-Y. Okay. He, he creates a, um, he's done a bunch of things, but currently he's focusing on something called marketing examples. And uh-huh. it's a site with like kind of like very cool more like new age, interesting marketing examples. And he, similar to me, had created a bunch of things in the past and launched them and got like this big spike and then it died down and you realize like it's not viable. So with marketing examples, he actually created it, kind of looked for validation like in the product itself. He wasn't launching it immediately. He was like looking to see, is this actually getting traction on its own? Do people care about it? Am I creating something of value? And he did that for like multiple months before launching it. Cause then he actually had kind of like a user base. Um, and so then when he launched it, the launch was actually much more effective as well. Oh. Um, so now I think if I were to do that, I, or if I were to launch, which I will launch more things in the future, I'll take more of that approach where I'm just not going to just like throw this out. The second I get an MVP, I'm going to like iterate, get users, see what is actually working, what's not. And then when I feel like I've created something like actually of value, then I'll launch it. Interesting. But 
but this is also because it is going to be more like a long term project. Yeah. So will you say that for your family and you know the rest? Those you... ones, and I probably will have like random kind of like instantaneous projects that I'll make in a couple days or yeah. weeks. Yeah, those I'll like happily toss out there. But for something more long term, I want to be more like thoughtful about it. Okay, and how does thoughtful look like? Right? Is it going to little groups in Reddit and one user at a time, very tactical? Can you try this out? Like, yeah, how does that look like?、Um, I mean, I think it's. I think you can approach it in a bunch of different ways. Like, I work in marketing, so you can like go the organic approach, like focus on content a lot. You can actually like a lot of there are maker communities where they're very open to like people launching and announcing things and getting feedback. So that's definitely one place that I would recommend for people. And then yeah, there's platforms like Twitter, Reddit, Hacker News. Like those are kind of like. Places that you can launch without, like, officially. Is that specific,、launching? like, like, groups, chats, hashtag, whatever, to people if you are launching stuff they could look into? Sure. I mean, there's a bunch of Telegram chats.、Um, if you're a woman, Women Make is like a great platform for other makers. There's a couple other maker chats.、Um, there's like, I think,、uh, now I'm. I'm blanking on the actual names, but there's a bunch of. If you go on Telegram, there's quite a few chats that are dedicated to people making things. I also am part of WIP, like Work in Progress,、um, which is a group of of makers. That's a paid, yeah, that's a paid service, I guess.、Um, but then for there's like a very similar free service called MakerLog, which a lot of people are part of as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of places where、um, people go. Indie hackers is also, of course, huge for people who are making these things.、Yeah. Um, I recently responded to someone who was on Indie Hackers, who was kind of、um, he he was a little、um, upset because he had been creating these things, and I think he launched and he didn't get the response that he was looking for.、Um, and I've gotten feedback from other people that they've experienced similar things. And I think what's really important is that if people do kind of Want to be part of the maker community that they don't just just launch stuff and say, "Hey, look at my stuff!" Like, and not actually help other people. So I kind of explained to him how I've built up what I would call like what some people might call my following and stuff like that. And I've focused it around not just like, "Hey, check out my products or projects," but like consistently interacting, delivering value, opening up what I'm doing past just a launch. Um, so being I, a human, yes, being a human, like being people follow <laughs> people follow humans, not products or companies,、um, and so I think that's really important for people if they do choose to join these maker chats. Like, don't just like come in, blast your launch, and then disappear. Yeah, I got um, um, Seth Godin calls it the the traveling huckster. You do that long enough, and you just realize that hey, you know, like that that little trick thing might work one time. But you know, once everybody's doing it, attention is scarce. Exactly. Cool. So that's a bit of ground rules for anybody who's engaging in this <laughs> um, Telegram chat. So please don't yeah, destroy I mean, this great things that people make out because they'll kick you out. Yeah. Well, and it's also just like in that in the same tune of things being more long term. Like, don't just focus on the launch. Like, if you've created something of value, like ask people questions about it, get people to try it out. Like. Don't just blast like this launch message, hoping that that will be that will like skyrocket you to, to like your product being successful.、Mm. So like engage in those chats and actually like, you know, help others, but also like 
get value out of them as well by asking questions and seeing like what people think and yeah just being a human like it's this is not some like launch radar it's it's like a chat for other makers to like interact and learn from each other cool so would you say after you know like um you know being there and you know um chatting and you know engaging and um do you collect this uh users and, and, and you know like when you launch is there a way for you to communicate with them that you're launching can you help me do this if you think that the product is good or you actually got some value out of it after like when you're launching to yeah, like get yeah, yeah. yeah so a lot of i mean still the the most common way is just email right like right. just getting email subscribers from your product i think that's really important um there's a couple other tools now where people can get live feedback like on like on the page um well there's a bunch so i mean you can use intercom to for like more like customer service type stuff i think Sentry is one where people can submit like actual like tickets and feedback. I might be wrong about the name, but um, there's different any? tools. So I don't currently because I don't. Again, I have my blog which I love, and I have these like random projects, but I'm not really like working on extending those. But for my next product, okay. I hope to like incorporate more of this right. stuff. Well, this is a good time to talk about it in case anybody wants to be subscriber <laughs> or want to try beta. Yeah, so it's called Upread. And it kind of um, like sprung out of my blog because I launched my blog earlier this year. It went much better than I expected. Lots of people were reading it. Um, and then there was all this stuff. And it's like now I have like a functioning blog. Like there was a bunch of things that I didn't know how to do. And I found there wasn't really the proper tooling for for independent publishers. So a lot of this stuff um, for like large publications, they'll build it in-house. Um, but some of the things that I started to do were like, okay, I'm going to advertise. Like, how do I advertise on my blog? How do I actually get the ads in there effectively? How do I actually create like a promote page where people can go to and purchase ads? And then for user feedback, how do I get user feedback effectively? The best thing currently is like for a blog is really to send out like a type form or a Google form. And I feel like there's just better, more native ways to get user feedback. Not the content, but the UI, or what are you talking about? Um, no, and like in terms of topics, what people want to hear, what people want to read next, uh, what they like, what they don't like. Um, and I, for example, one of the very simple first features that I want to do is just have in line, like on the page, like, up, you know, the next five to ten upcoming articles where people can upvote which ones they want to read next. There's no tool where you can do that currently, and it's very simple, but it's it's... Basically, the the way I've been labeling Upread is like a toolbox for independent publishers. It's just things that um, right now there there's tooling out there. You can send out a Google form, you can send out a type form, but they're not made for Maybe. this yeah. this purpose. And so I want to create a toolbox for independent publishers to be able to do all the things that these like larger publishers can do. They can advertise easily. They can get user feedback easily. They can um, I don't know, just like have a better system to get feedback and build their publication, okay. um, but for independence. And of course, some of the things that I'm building, like larger publishers can use, but I'm centering it more around someone like me who's building this from the first, from the get-go and, and doesn't really know what they're doing. So that's the product. And I, again, it's kind of like uh, simple right now, but I have ideas in terms of like how it'll expand past the things that what I just mentioned. What kind of users, I mean, should write to you um, if they... If you have an, an like an, a, blog. a blog. If you, and most people have a blog, like a, a lot that of... that wants to have the up, what's the, the few features that well, people... Okay. To, to extend their blog past just like whatever 
it is now, which is basically just like a, just a, a page with, with text on it, right? right? If you want to engage with your readers more effectively, if you want to potentially advertise and don't know how to set that stuff up, um, if you want to monetize, that's like another step that I, I hope to add after that, right. um, similar to Substack, but again, for independent publishers and all kind of in one toolbox. So if, if you have a blog, then upread. And wants to have those features that you talk about. Yes, then upread.co is currently where the landing page is and we're like, I'm collecting interest. But uh, yeah, hopefully, I'm, I've been putting off building it because of the recent career switch, but now that I've switched, I hope to at least have like an MVP out by, you know, the next month or two. You talk about when you were in chemical engineering, hated the thing, and then you want to dig yourself out of this place that you hate. Uh, well, so it was mostly, it, it was, I was in consulting. I didn't necessarily hate consulting, but there was aspects of it where I just felt like it wasn't long-term sustainable. I wasn't doing what I loved. And yeah, I felt like I was moving I was building a career around one thing and I didn't feel like that was like conducive to my happiness in the long term. So what was the couple of expect that, you know, that made you think that? I mean, it was a mix of two kind of sections. So one of them was purely just like I was in Toronto. That's where I grew up. I wasn't happy there. I was commuting a lot. I was basically like living in a place and living a life that I was not happy with. So that was one aspect of it. But then also from the the aspect of like what skills I was focusing on, what industry I was in, like the actual job itself um, was interesting. I learned a lot, but ultimately um, okay. I was moving in a very corporate direction and into kind of like a, you know, a very stereotypical, like working your way up the ladder, which I realized very quickly was not what I wanted to do. When you were in consulting, um... Um, that being the job that a lot of people wanted, right? You know, um, yeah. and I, I bet I don't know if it's the thing that you wanted when you were in school. So I, yeah, I did chemical engineering in school. Uh, chemical engineering goes into two very typical um, jobs after. One is like working in oil and gas and one of them is working basically in like some sort of chemical plant. Um, so I knew I definitely didn't want to do that. And then the next most obvious option is that a lot of consulting firms hire engineers. And so a lot of people in prior years, um, it, like at the university I went to in engineering, went into consulting. So for me, that was like, that was the role I wanted because I knew I didn't want to do oil and gas and like chemical processing. So I was pretty excited to go into consulting. And I did the job and the actual, a lot of the work I did was pretty interesting and I learned a lot. That's when I fell in love with spreadsheets and I learned um, a lot that I've taken since then. But the actual dynamic of, of kind of climbing the ladder, working with clients that were very corporate, um, and um, I just felt myself kind of like working towards a future that wasn't what I really knew. Okay, so first of all, we can all agree that the money is good. Money can be good. I I wasn't even I wasn't even making that much. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't doing bad, but I wasn't like um, I wasn't killing there it. for the money. Okay. I wasn't killing it. Then. <laughs> but you were but you were at least shifting from a place that you absolutely oh, value wise doesn't align to something that it might be good. Yeah. And actually, in fact, you think it was good. So like, like I just want to know the moment that like you realized that like whoa this is not what i thought it was and yeah i think it was um 
I don't know if there was one specific moment, but it was definitely early on. Like I started, so I started in this job in consulting, I think at the end of the summer, it was, it was in August um, of 2015. And I think by around October, I was already looking for other jobs. Um, And I think it was a mix of when I finally, so it was a huge learning curve. So that was great um, when I was learning these new skills. But then when we'd create things or like create a deck and go to the client um, and present to them, hey, like this is how you can save millions of dollars or this is how you can do X, Y, Z. Um, they really liked the work we were doing, but that was a whole different political game, right? Where they were like, oh, but I'm worried about what the CMO is going to say or like we can't do this because of whatever's happening at the company. Like we were working with like, you know, Fortune 50 companies. And so there was a lot of like kind of enterprise dynamics going on. And I just would get frustrated, to be honest, because I would create, you know, I would spend like many, many hours finding these insights and then they would be happy with them but not use them and i just felt like this doesn't make any sense and they'll like, tell you like right we... up front like in, like in the meeting that yeah. they they love it but in a, in a sense i'm not going to use it yeah exactly where it's like this is helpful but we're basically just spending our marketing dollar how or our time, consulting dollar well, how many times did you do that like, i mean it didn't always happen but it happened enough where i was just kind of like this is this doesn't make sense well, how, right? how does it like, feel to you the first time versus the third <laughs> i mean by the end it's like you or after a while, you expect it, right? You you kind of go in there with, like, wide eyes and you're, you're like, I'm going to change the world. I'm working with these huge companies and I'm going to find these insights and I'm going to, like, help them do these amazing things. And then you kind of realize that there's just all these layers that prevent you from doing that. And so that's why whenever I moved to a new role, I knew I wanted to work with smaller companies where I really could, like, make decisions. I could, like find insights that could impact the company or impact what I was doing and didn't have all these like walls to run through. So it definitely got better over time psychologically because you expected it, but that didn't make it much better. Also, the first time was real hard. I'm not saying it wasn't like that hard. I wasn't like, I wasn't like having like a meltdown after, but I was just kind of like, this doesn't make any sense. It would just... I just put in all this work and, and it's not going so yeah and it's not going anywhere so it was more just like a a conflict of like I don't understand um not that I'm upset but just like this shouldn't be how this works right um, oh. and I shouldn't be spending my time doing this but they did explain to you why they didn't want to implement it I mean normally they would say like vaguely like this doesn't you know this person's running a project that's similar and maybe it will seem like we're competing against it or we have this other mandate, which doesn't make sense, but it's from the top, you know, like classic corporate speak. But um, they would normally give you some degree of understanding, but it wouldn't always, like, make sense from a fundamental perspective. Right. Okay, okay, okay. okay. So, and then then there's a couple more decks that you made and yeah. now you expect this. But instead of finding solutions that are more within their scope of maybe 5%, not a, a, a big 20% change, maybe a 1% change, you still suggested the 20% stuff and you still it's get shot down. Always about, it's not always about um, the fact that like they would shut stuff down. It's just it, There were just so many layers and it's not specifically the firm I worked at or the companies we worked with. It's just a function of large companies that most of the time when 
you like you know you propose something new it needs to go through so many layers of approvals or um like walls basically that you need to run through to get something to work and i just felt like my time and effort could be translated into something much more impactful outside of that structure got it got it okay and then and then remote work came into the picture um, but you, before even before jumping off the cliff, you have already spent uh, weeks and weekends and weeknights learning, equipping yourself with new skills. Yeah. So tell me about the process of that. Yeah. Like, what, like you know, if someone will be in your situation, you go back to staff again, right? Yeah. Um, like they don't know all this like uh, options. Like, what do they need to know? Tell like, yeah. go. Uh, yeah. So like I said, I started in August in that role, and by I think around October, I decided this isn't fully right for me. But I knew I wanted to be thoughtful and not just like quit and not have a job. This is my first job out of university. Um, it from like a, uh, the point of view of like it being like a good job, it was a good job. Like it was like a good thing to put on my resume. It potentially had a very nice career path. So I wanted to be mindful of that and not just like drop it and be like, see you later. So I started, yeah, I started learning everything I could on weekends. Um, and weeknights after work, I learned um, a lot of digital marketing. So like SEO, like paid marketing and stuff, social media, um, and just started like looking online, like where are the remote job boards, applied to them, got a couple like freelance gigs. I think at one point I was actually doing like three or four part-time. Wait, where do you learn and what are the job boards? Um, the main job boards I would recommend were the same ones I used back then, which well, are remote, you okay. Recommend, there's a lot, remote. right? So. Um, the, the two job boards I still recommend are Remote OK and FlexJobs. Remote OK is free, so that's one that anyone can go to. FlexJobs is great. It's paid, though, but it's really good for, um, like, because they curate these jobs. It's a paid platform. The money goes to find people to find remote jobs, but also validate them and say, like, these are legitimate remote jobs. So I found quite a few jobs on FlexJobs. Um, like most of the jobs that I did throughout the year that were remote were through flex jobs. So I'd recommend flex jobs. And I just like went into it with like an open mentality of like, I'll do this. Like I'll do a trial. I'll do. Wait, 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 what about Upwork and all this other stuff? Uh, I would, I would stick to remote job boards because. Okay, why? Because they're built for people who are open to hiring remotely. Upwork and of course, like these other um, talent platforms, um, I think there's just like a mismatch of expectations and there's also a mismatch of like often people are looking for people to do extremely cheap you know gig economy work um that's like a one-off whereas i was looking for a job right like a job oh. a sustainable position um and i did it i did some part-time stuff i did some stuff that didn't last but all the things that i i was doing were for like companies that were hiring remote workers in some capacity um, and I was doing like a part-time or hourly Wait, gig so, for like. Uh, oh, oh wow! So okay, I thought you were doing gig stuff. No, no you. No, were, no. <laughs> I was doing like I had, like, some of it was more gig esque. Like there was one position that was like an online researcher where you could kind of um, plug. You could kind of go on the platform when you wanted to. So that was more like gig economy style. But it was never like I, I never used Upwork. I never used Gigster or Fiverr or anything like that. I never. Because it take it also takes so much work to apply to, to positions on those platforms, um, so I was I wanted work that I could just do I could do when I had the time because I was doing a full time job, um, so yeah I was just trying to 
get as much remote work experience under my belt. I wasn't doing it in a super intentional way, but now that I look back, it it worked to just try to get as much experience under my belt so that finally when there was a role which ended up being top tell that made sense, I had all this like, you know, remote experience across a bunch of different areas under my belt. So I really was just experimenting my my like north star what I was trying to achieve was just like find a remote job, but I tested the waters a little bit so I saw like I wasn't going to jump for like the first remote role that I found because I didn't want to just like give up my career in like to be able to work remotely. I wanted to have both. Right. And I do not know how you do it, but uh, it sounds like very tiring and like like I most of my consultant friends work very late. Yeah, so I definitely <laughs> working. I yeah, it was definitely like 60 plus hour weeks. So wait, so you you knock off what seven, and then from seven to eleven you were what? Yeah. Just commute, and then yeah. So my average day back then was wake up seven thirty ish, leave the house by eight, get into work by like nine fifteen. I was always a little late, um, and then stay. The that office had kind of like an unwritten rule, like as many I guess corporate. Uh, firms have where we no one ever left before six and on average I think we'd probably leave around seven um, but some nights we'd stay till 11 some nights we'd leave at 6 30 or whatever um, but yeah it was a lot of like leave around seven get home around eight have maybe like two to three hours of time to work and then yeah then do the same thing again and then weekends is when I really got a lot more work done outside of that job oh okay and whoa okay um the social the the digital marketing stuff didn't actually end up being like what you um, do with the research stuff uh so that year i did many roles i did an seo focused role i did a social media focused role i did um this like online research focused role um i'm probably forgetting a couple like i I was doing a bunch of stuff. With different companies. Different companies. Not all at the same time, although some of them did overlap. Um, but it's because I tried certain things and realized, like, okay, social media is cool, but I wouldn't want to be doing, like, social media as my full-time job. Why? Same thing. Well, it just it wasn't my, like, ideal position or, like, skill set that I wanted to pursue. Okay. Um, and so... I tried different things out. Same thing with like on re- online research. I liked it. I was relatively good at it. But like, do I want that as my full time job? Probably not. So that was cool to experience. No, I feel that you're still thoughtful about thinking about the the the, the jobs that you take and the skills you view. Important because I think that's actually like a very underrated um, thing that people consider. People are like often reach for a job that they think is good enough, but I think you spend most of your life working. You should be in roles that are very like conducive to your happiness your like learning your success in the future um and people should be that's the thing that people should be extremely thoughtful about like relationships and work are what you spend your most time on so you should be extremely thoughtful about both of those things well how do you think about like the work piece say for example you're not in this career right or coding whatever like what would be the other thing like plan b it's, it's a good question because I'm one of those people who I honestly feel like I could have done many things and still, like, I'm unsure what I'll yeah, evolve <laughs> into. But I think it's... I like doing things, um, like, that are broad in the sense that we're, they're dynamic, right? So online research, for example, that wasn't really a fit because you're doing this 
the same thing consistently. Um, it's more of like a plug and play, like here's your assignment, um, now go complete it. I like problem solving and I know that's broad, but like the reason that I fell into like more of a growth digital marketing type role is because, I mean, that first year and a half at TopTal where I was in that growth role was one of the, like one of the periods of my life where I learned the most, at least from a skill set perspective, because we were given the vague-ish but clear mandate, you need to grow client revenue. And we did that, but there was no, this is exactly how you need to do it, right? This is your mandate, go figure it out. And I had so much fun because we experimented, we like used data and just like we, we accomplished it, right? Like we did grow the company an extreme amount during that time period. And so I like roles that give you very clear um, outcomes. outcomes, but give you the autonomy to figure out how you get there. Um, and so again, I feel like there's probably other roles that doesn't necessarily need to be digital marketing, but I optimize for roles where I can continuously problem solve, learn new things and kind of like figure things out on my own without being like prescribed how to do it. Um, so I, I, I want to quickly touch about your slow travel thing because I feel that there's something there that everyone faces yeah. in the same thing that you do. And I think there's wisdom to be derived from there. But tell me about, you know, remote working and how this is so great and what changes or how do you feel internally to initiate the change? Yeah, so I've been working remotely for the last three years and it's been for me, and I say for me because it's not for everyone, one of the best things that I've um, kind of incorporated into my life. Um, the reason that I find it so great is because it allows me to do so much more. I feel like it's an, an enabler, which a lot of people don't understand. So the one thing to really emphasize here is that um, remote work is like glamorized or it's it's like it's put on a pedestal by many people as this like dream world dream life whatever and I think a lot of people go into it and realize that's not what it is you're still like I'm still working full-time I'm living in you know places that I want and have a more flexible lifestyle but it's not this dream life so that's something really important to no, no, point no, out I, I want to know your your but, story yeah uh, yeah, right, yeah but I once you get past that so some people so get into it month. And they, they imagine it like that. Um, but then I think what's actually even more like empowering about the lifestyle is really it allows you to like design the life that you want. Um, and so I'm able to like set my own schedule. I'm able to live exactly where we're in Bali right now, right? Like I live where I want. I live how I want. Um, I have the autonomy to like work when, from where, um, and... I just think it really has enabled me to like build the life. Like really like if you have, if you imagine your life from the ground up, remote work kind of like sets that slate clean and then you can build it. And the thing that um, I think people find hard sometimes about remote work is, is that they have to build it. Right. And they don't realize that they expect that they start working remotely and that, you know, it's just going to like their life is going to be better automatically, but it actually takes a lot more work to be like intentional about this is how I'm going to spend my time. This is how I'm going to keep myself accountable. This is These are the things that I'm going to work on because I have the time. Um, but if you kind of like embrace that and you're like, oh, now I have this like opportunity to design, literally design my life from the ground up. I think it's super No, I think empowering. you speak from experience. And, and what I'm trying to get to is what is the 
thing that you yeah well like when you when you started remote working and you know and this is the set of things that everyone talks about you know there's this whole yeah. thing that oh, you, yeah. so, right I mean, everyone so when including me when you first start working remotely you focus on uh, mostly this concept of location right because like you're you don't focus on some of the things I'll talk about in a second, but you mostly focus on, okay, I'm basically, I'm free, right? I am no longer tied to a desk. I'm no longer tied to this one city. And you go a little bit crazy, most people, including me in the sense where you're like, I'm going to maximize this. I'm going to maximize the fact that I can be absolutely anywhere and I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to see all the sites. And I'm like, I did that in my first year to two years. I traveled to over 30 countries across like almost every continent and was just constantly on the move. But that's not sustainable or even that fulfilling, just checking off countries Why? on your. Well, I mean, happiness doesn't come from like just checking things off a list Is or. Because really? people do feel right. <laughs> people think that, right? But then, like, once you start doing those things, you're like, oh, happiness comes from like. Um, like doing fulfilling things, like learning new skills, building up, you know, things of value, building relationships. Like happiness comes from building things um, in different forms. Um, but when you're effectively just like moving around and checking boxes, you're not building anything. You're just ticking off things that you thought would make you happy and, and don't. And that's the thing, when you move around so much, a lot of nomads, especially when they do it for the first year or two, myself included, feel unfulfilled because they think they'll find happiness in in like in hopping around quickly and seeing so many things and just like kind of getting invested in this like attention economy and really what makes people happy is building things like again building relationships building things of value learning things um and you don't do that when you're constantly on the move so what most nomads including myself start to do is they they go and they go crazy and they realize, wow, I've spent a year or two and I, I don't feel fulfilled. I haven't really advanced myself in my career or in my personal growth or whatever. So I'm going to slow down. I want community. That's what most people recognize is they want some form of like routine. But in addition to the routine, they want um, to start building up some of these things, especially these relationships with people. So then they slow down and some people fully slow down. Some people actually stop nomading. Some people choose to kind of, um, like adhere to one location. Some people move to places like Bali permanently. Um, some people do what I would typically call slow mad where they still move around, but you know, maybe they spend three months somewhere, six months somewhere, and they tend to uh, focus specifically on more like digital nomad-centric locations like Bali or Chiang Mai or Lisbon. So there's different ways to go about it, but I think the, the central theme is that people realize just like hopping around and being like as nomadic as possible is not actually that fulfilling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit over here. You realize that you didn't, you didn't like the whole oh, right. chemical engineering thing, right? Uh, and then that took two months really quickly for you to figure that out. But this nomad thing was a year and a half to two years. So, but I assume that little things pop up and then, you know, like, but what, what were some of the little things that pop up that made you realize that that might not be the thing? Yeah, it's a good question. Do? So I think, yeah, it took me around a year or so because I was traveling around and seeing the world and um, I think a couple things. One is by that year and a half or so, I had been in the same role 
in that role at the company for a year and a half. And I didn't feel like that. I had passed that initial, I had an amazing initial growth learning phase. And then after that, it started to slow down. And I looked back on the year and a half, like where I was then. And I was like, I, in the last, you know, six months to, to a year, I don't feel like I've accomplished as much. Like I'm not learning. And then I've just been hopping around. So I haven't really been forming like relationships, both like romantically and also like f- with friendships, right? Cause you're just constantly moving around. Um, I didn't feel like I had a routine and I just felt like I was chasing something that wasn't actually like worth being chased anymore. Right. Like I'd seen it, I'd lived it. And I recognized that that really wasn't what I wanted to optimize towards. And around the same time, I think one thing that was really impactful is that I came to Bali for the first time in, I think, December 2017. And when I came here, it was the first time where I kind of like immediately um, kind of got pulled into a community because the community here is really good. I was meeting people every day. I was meeting like-minded people, people building businesses, people that were inspiring me. And prior to that, when I was just like hopping around Europe and South America and like all these other places... I would meet someone for like a day and then like never speak to them again. But I was here for, I think around a month and a half and I had already like built up the relationships where I was like, I want to come back here. So now Bali's been kind of like this pseudo home for me where I come back for a couple months, maybe leave for a couple months, but I just keep coming back because I'm like longing for that community. So I think that also was like a pretty pivotal point when I first came here and kind of like just got brought into the community here and was like, oh, this is kind of this is what I want moving forward right and do you see that because I think there's a team that I see uh, through this is is the speed and velocity that you learn and you want to experience life and and there is almost a hot stopping point when whenever that's not happening you realize that there was something that is missing and do you think like the speed and velocity will continue down the road Is, is is that a thing I think, I mean, uh, in terms of just traveling, like I still travel more than I think most people and I do plan to continue to travel. Like every time I'm stuck somewhere for a couple of months, like I do want to like, like almost hit refresh and like go somewhere new. But I think, I don't think I'll ever go back into like that speed phase again. It's just, it's very, I think I wrote about this in one of my articles. It's very hard to focus on like more than a couple things at a time, right? And so... Right now, like my learning slash, you know, like working on projects, learning to code, like that's one area of my life I care a lot about and have no plans on like deprioritizing. Another one is my job. I still love working and the companies that I'm at. And so that's another one. There's not that much room for that much else. And, you know, like I have relationships, I have family, I have things that I care about. And every time I do this speed travel thing, which every so often comes up like even in June I had a couple conferences and I was kind of for a couple weeks be traveling it just kind of hinders my ability to do the things that I care about more and so sure I'll continue to travel but I don't think I'll ever go back to that like long period of speed travel okay this is going to take a left turn um what do you what does um because you half Asian and uh, half uh white um what does mom say about not being with mom (laughs) She's cool. She's my mom is awesome. She is super supportive of every like she's always been just like do what makes you happy. I think both my parents would like selfishly like me to be at home more. 
but I selfishly make the decision not to be. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been like great. And every time I come home, like I, I stay at home, like if I'm home for a couple weeks or whatever. So I do spend actually like a decent amount of time with them throughout the year. Um, but no, they're super, super cool. I think at first they didn't really get it. They were like, what are you like? Cause remote work, when I first started working remotely, it wasn't as popular as it is now. So I don't, I think they weren't like, does she have a real job? Like what's she doing? Uh, but now I think they get it and they're super supportive. All right, Staff Smith. Thank you. <laughs> you got time. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> In the chatting. I mean, I don't want to tow you up anymore. I mean, we have covered a lot of like tactical stuff yeah, and yeah, yeah, given yeah. enough people to look at notes and goals and <laughs> all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And if people want to um, know more about you and what you do, they sign up for your blog and read uh, stuff that you write about and um, leadership and all that good stuff. We didn't even cover half the thing that I want to talk about. Uh, but, uh, well, it's good grounds for round two. Yeah, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, all right, cool. thanks. Well, hey folks, it's over, as usual. All show notes, links, books can be found on the website, brianvictor.com. And if you have any misfits you'd like to hear from, feel free to drop me an email. Uh, thank you again for giving me your time and listening to this episode. Have a fantastic week ahead. Mm-hmm.